The Presidential Advisory Commission on Election Integrity met for the first time yesterday, already facing at least seven federal lawsuits questioning its integrity, its transparency, and its legitimacy, among other things. In addressing the panel, President Trump referred to the claim he's been making that his three million voter loss to Hillary Clinton in the popular vote was due to fraudulent ballots cast against him. People would come up to me and express their concerns about voter inconsistencies and irregularities, which they saw, in some cases having to do with very large numbers of people in certain states. Trump offered nothing to support those claims. And at a news conference, the chairman of the DNC Voting Rights Commission, Jason Kander, said the Election Integrity Commission is a GOP attempt to suppress the vote. This commission started as a way to try and legitimize, to try and justify the biggest lie that a sitting president has ever told, this commission being the Trump commission. But it has morphed from there. And what it's become now is just a vehicle for voter suppression. Joining us to discuss the questions surrounding this commission are Richard Brafall, a professor at Columbia Law School, and Jason Sneed, a policy analyst for the Heritage Foundation. Rich, we've talked about this commission before, but after hearing about its first meeting, give me your impression of its mission. Well, I think the impression uh, from the meeting remains the same as the impression that surrounded the hoopla for its creation and the executive order setting it up. It's there to, to make a case that there is a lot of voter fraud of the sort of um, false impersonation of a person pretending to be a voter when they're not, or voting by non-citizens, or voting by people who are ineligible. It's not. There was no talk, for example, about the electronic problems or hacking issues. There was no talk about uh, laws that make it hard to vote. It's entirely focused on making a case that there are a significant number of people voting who are not eligible to vote. Jason, why isn't this commission looking at at broader issues? I mean, even if there is some of this in-person voter fraud that uh, folks like the president and, and Chris Kobach, who's running the commission, even if some of that is actually uh, occurring, um, it, it's an awfully inefficient way if you want to rig an election. Why aren't we looking at things like what Rich was talking about with you know hacking of, of election systems, for example? Well, the cybersecurity component was agreed um, at the commission meeting to be examined uh, in the future, and I believe that there was also an agreement at the meeting that there would be liaisons established between the commission and the relevant uh, congressional committees that are looking into foreign influence of the election. But I'd I'd really like to push back on the notion that uh, you know there is very little fraud in the actual balloting process itself. We've been you know looking at this for several years at the Heritage Foundation. We've compiled a database. Now it's not a comprehensive nationwide database. It's merely designed to prove that there is voter fraud and that even small amounts of, of, of that kind of fraud, you know, whether it's fraudulently cast absentee ballots or a small amount of impersonation fraud, can swing tight elections and it is a problem that deserves a, a serious hard look and serious solutions. Rich, I know that Kobach has dedicated himself to rooting out voter fraud, and he's obtained only nine voter fraud convictions in the last six years. Eight of them were for voting in two states. So do you believe that there is any real way for voter fraud to tip an election? 
Well, I mean, in theory, I guess there could be an election which is so close that one vote is dispositive. And we've had some pretty close elections. But the the evidence from many, many different academic studies, from neutral parties, uh, from court decisions uh, that have looked at this, from uh, aggregations of all the cases ever brought, going back really to the – it's been a, an effort on the part of Republicans, and particularly going back to the Bush administration, is that the number of uh, – of evidence, number of proven cases of voter score, of voter fraud is minusculely tiny. We're typically talking about in the single or double digits, literally digits, out of out of millions of votes cast. So um, it, the amount of attention being given to this kind of voter fraud in proportion to its actual existence is wildly disproportionate. Jason, I'm going to ask you to respond to that, but let me let me try to separate two things out here. I, I think what Rich was talking about there is in-person voter fraud, somebody going up and, and voting when they shouldn't, as opposed to absentee voter fraud. And the reason I think those things need to be separated is because the, 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 the first one perhaps could be dealt with by voter ID laws, but the second one can't be. Do you have a lot of evidence of that first kind, that in-person voter fraud going on? Well, we do have some cases in our database of impersonation fraud, and we, we certainly have cases of absentee ballot fraud as well. But I'm not sure that I would agree with the bifurcation that you're proposing, because you can certainly have an ID uh, type of requirement in the absentee ballot context. And I'll give you an example. I, uh, uh, before I uh, uh, changed my residency out here uh, to Virginia, I used to, uh, to vote in Ohio elections, and I would uh, cast a ballot, and um, you know, part of the absentee or early voting process Process required that you sign and that you include um, an Ohio driver's license number or some other form of, of identification in order to actually prove that you are who you say you are. And so, you know, that's the type of a, a situation where I think that uh, fraud can be addressed through identification requirements in the same way that it is addressed in the impersonation fraud context. We're talking with Richard Berfold, professor at Columbia Law School, and Jason Sneed, a policy analyst for the Heritage Foundation, about the Presidential Advisory Commission on Election Integrity. Rich, I want to let you respond to uh, Jason's comments before about using voter ID more and particularly using it even when you have um, uh, elections by mail. Yes, I think that's an interesting point that he's raised, and it's an appropriate one. Uh, there's, as I said before, there's next to no evidence of in-person uh, voter fraud, but there's, there hasn't been enough studies actually about absentee. And uh, the many, many uh, legal changes that were adopted by many states trying to address the voter fraud problem have almost all been focused on the, kind of a non-existent in-person problem. It would be interesting to spend a little bit more time thinking about absentee voting, uh, which I think there are, although there I think some of the issues have to do with uh, sometimes the the pressures that may be put on people who are ca- casting votes absentee. I mean, the ab- absentee votes are not cast in the privacy of a, of a voting booth. So it would be interesting to find out more about that. I just want to be clear. Uh, Rich just talked about, said that next to no in-person voter fraud, that is also my understanding. Do you have evidence of a significant number of in-person voter fraud cases? In the database, we have um, uh, a few examples of in-person uh, uh, voter fraud where, where people actually went to a polling place and either what's, voted. What's a, a few? Second. What's a few? Can you put can you put a number on it for us? Because I think we're it would really help people. Because Donald Trump has talked about three to five million illegal votes, and so um, it'd be nice to know how many in-person I- I- illegal votes we know we know have been out there. Sure. So you know, first of all, I guess that I would. Um, 
uh, say that the, the three to five million number that we've heard from the president and, and a few other people who have repeated that figure, I, I don't think that we necessarily need to assume, first of all, that you know even if that figure is accurate, and I'm not sure that it is, but even if it is, that all of those votes were were cast you know illegally in person. So I just think that we should we should clarify that. I don't know exactly how many uh, uh, you know in person uh, voter fraud cases we have in the database. We have more than a thousand entries, and in you know I admit that we have far more absentee ballot related uh, cases than we do impersonation fraud. Um, you, you're, you're right to point out um, that uh, you know voter identification laws will not solve every problem in the absentee ballot context because there are problems of people who are illegally quote unquote assisting voters by putting pressure on them to essentially vote one way or the other. But I think that it would be a helpful uh, a helpful provision. And ultimately, I'm hoping that the Voter Fraud Commission will be able to look into to problems related to the absentee uh, ballot situation as well as problems with uh, fraud in person at a polling place. I mean, just to put it in perspective, there were roughly 130 million votes cast in the 2016 presidential election. I'm going to guess a comparable number was cast in 2012. So at that point, we're like over 260 million votes cast. Uh, and that's just for president. There, there were lower level elections in the the, uh, the the congressional elections in the middle, makes the numbers probably half that. So throw in another 80 million, 80 million votes. And then we have state elections and we have local elections in the odd years. So there's probably been I don't know, and very, I'm making this number up, but I think it's about right, a half a billion votes cast over the last five years. Uh, if we're talking about a thousand entries in a database, and those aren't proven cases, but just it, it, it often things that might be suspicious because of overlapping names, I don't think we have a very high fraction of votes there. Okay, well, let's move well, on. If I, if, For, if, we, if I could just move on to a little bit of a different uh, angle here. Uh, Rich, the uh, chairman of the DNC Voting Rights Commission said the that said that the Election Integrity Commission is an attempt to suppress the vote by the GOP. When the commission requested this extensive personal voter information from the states, many citizens in a lot of states took their names off the voter rolls. So has the commission already caused some voter suppression? Well, that may be the case. I, I, I doubt, even I don't think they intended that. And I've been pretty critical of this. But I think it just goes to show the concerns about privacy. And that may connect this up with the problems of hacking and, and sort of cybercrime involving voting. What the, what, the, what the commission's vice chair asked for was a huge amounts of data, uh, personal data about voters, including their political party, their social security number, in ways that it was, they had not gone through the proper processes for asking for such critical private and protected the data. And I think there's an enormous concern out there uh, about the loss of privacy and the loss of this kind of data may be connected to, to voting, may be connected to, to uh, data identity theft. I mean, it was kind of, it was an amazingly sloppy move uh, to try and sort of ask for all that data in an insecure way, uh, including data that some, some states some states do allow to be released. Some states allow to be released only to certain people or in certain circumstances. Some don't, which is why I think you've got this big pushback from state regulators, including Republican regulators, uh, who felt that this was an enormous intrusion into their databases that it was not being done in a secure way. And I suspect the voters were reacting more about this concern about loss of privacy than about anything else. Jason, what's your take on that? We have issues of privacy, security, and I guess federalism there, too. What do you think? Sure. Well, you know, before I address that, I did want to clarify that our database 
um, are is 100% proven instances of fraud. It was it was mentioned earlier that you know these might just be hypothetical or allegations. These are 100% proven cases. The vast majority, nearly a thousand of them, criminal convictions for voter fraud. So I just wanted to be clear that we are talking about a non-comprehensive database of proven instances of fraud from 47 states around the country. And Over how many years? The, um, the vast majority of this database is within the last decade, and we add cases that are matriculating through the court system. We've added a slew of cases that were decided in 2017, just within the last few weeks. So this is a, a current up-to-date database. Now, it does not represent every case in the United States because we don't have the resources to go through every court record. The point is simply to say that voter fraud is real and that it has you know, tipped the balance in elections. We have elections in this database right now that were ordered to be uh, thrown out and redone because there was sufficient fraud to swing the outcome. Jason, now we only have about a minute. For, yeah, yeah, only sure. about a minute if I, left. If I can talk for just a second then about the uh, uh, unregistering, you know, I think if people are removing themselves from the voter rolls uh, because they're afraid about privacy concerns, that is an unfortunate overreaction because the data that was requested is publicly available information that is routinely accessed. It's not information which is locked away in a vault. It is routinely accessed for political purposes by parties and candidates. Uh, in California, for example, a state that is refusing to provide information to the commission, it is made available to journalistic organizations, governmental organizations, private parties. There are federal and state laws that make this publicly available. So I think it's an unfortunate overreaction. And then we also have to consider this could be some form of, of political protest. This could be people who are ineligible that were on the rolls and are now trying to get themselves off so that they can't be identified as having committed a crime by voting when they're ineligible. There's a lot of potential motivations for this. And, uh, you know, if it's just people who are worried about privacy, then I think that a lot of the rhetoric around the commission has contributed to that. And I really do hope that they will re-register so that they can exercise their democratic rights. Privacy advocates have filed suit arguing that federal law expressly bars government agencies from collecting voter information. The uh, question is whether the commission is an agency, and uh, critics have also warned about it. Uh, we are going to be talking more about this in the future, I am sure. Thank you both for being on Bloomberg Law. That's Richard Brafault, professor at Columbia Law School, and Jason Sneed, a policy analyst for the Heritage Foundation.